All right, all right. Uh, welcome to the All In Podcast. Uh, Mark Neely, your host, and uh, it's where we talk about what it means to be all in in different areas of your life. Today, we've got a super duper special guest. Uh, I have known this guy for a little while, but we have become fast friends and business partners in a couple things, and I am super duper excited to announce that we have Tyler Cobble here. Now, Tyler went to Montgomery Bell Academy. He was raised here in Nashville, just like me. Um, first ever project he did was 42 units in about 2015 in Bellevue. And he's a young guy. Um, uh, he was He's also a member of, or received the National Business Journal 30 Under 30. Uh, he founded the Cobble Group in 2018, where they focus on leasing and selling retail office, industrial and multifamily real estate. Hamilton Development in 2020. And then also his property management company, uh, Parasol, which manages over 2.1 million square feet of square footage uh, in commercial space in Nashville and Chattanooga. And their company, they're committed to helping business owners understand the market for business growth and Nashville's future. He's also got a book that he wrote called Open for Business. It's it's the insider's guide for leasing, uh, the insider's guide to leasing commercial real estate. Uh, Tyler also writes for Bigger Pockets. You guys probably watch Brandon. Uh, it's the Bearded Crew, right? And they uh, he writes uh, content and and teaches courses for Bigger Pockets. He's a great friend. I trust him implicitly. One of those people that really stands out as someone that you're truly thankful to meet in your life. And uh, you really can't bring up, honestly, uh, commercial development in Nashville, uh, and and really soon to be, I guess, Chattanooga. Uh, without bringing up Tyler's name, everyone will know him. So, Tyler, thank you for coming. Yeah, uh, Mark, that was, that was quite the introduction. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> I, uh, I'm excited to be here. And and one uh, one funny point on on the bearded thing with bigger pockets. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, I was hanging out with Brandon uh, in Whistler, Canada, uh, back in like 2015, 2016, and uh, we were we were kind of brainstorming marketing ideas. And he was like, "You should call yourself the Bearded Broker." <laughs> and uh, I was like, huh, the bearded broker. I thought about it, but I was like, man, if I ever shave the beard, which is highly unlikely, if I ever shave the beard, then I'm going to have to completely rebrand. <laughs> and when I said that, he was like, cool, I'll just take it. And so that's how he became Beardy Are Brandon. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. How about that? You learn something new every day. Yeah. You'd be like Mag- You'd be like Tom Selleck without the, without <laughs> the stats. Right. Like, who is that guy? Who is that guy? Who is that guy? So, you know, for the for a few people out there that may not uh, be familiar with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got started um, and, you know, kind of where you're at now. I know yeah. it's, it's a long story, but, you know, you t- take as much time as you need. Yeah. So uh, right out of high school, I got into sales. Uh, I actually sold Cutco knives. Uh, and that summer ended up being one of the top sales reps in the eastern region, the number one sales rep in the eastern region. And that was when I kind of realized like, okay, I can, I can do sales. I really like this. Made 30 grand that summer and which, which is a ton of money for a 19 year old going to college. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was on top of the world, bought a motorcycle, you know, I was buying everybody drinks at the bar, um, just being not very smart with that money. And I was sitting in class one day and uh, I was fortunate enough to go to MBA, as you said, which is a very, very good private school. And um, had a strong education, and I was taking classes at UT that I had taken in eighth grade, yeah. and couldn't understand why I was spending that much money to be in college, and uh, didn't really like it. And you know, UT's football team at the time was pretty bad, not like they are this year. And uh, my fraternity got kicked off campus, and I didn't really like Knoxville because it was kind of a concrete jungle. So I was like, 
what am I even doing here? And I, I annualized my income over three months. I made 30 grand over a, a one year period. That'd be $120,000. So I made the decision then to just drop out and uh, move back to Nashville and, and start working. So I uh, started off as a project manager for my grandfather's construction company. I was originally going to take that over. I've been working for him just about every summer since I was 12. And three months into that, I got a job offer from a boutique developer here in town that I had sold Cutco to uh, that heard I was back in in the area. And he wanted me to come work on his uh, portfolio of investments. So he had a shopping center, office building, and some, and some industrial as well. Um, this was back in 2013. The market was very different, right? I mean, these were nice assets that were sitting 70% occupied, which if you know anything about commercial real estate, that's not good. And I came in and leased those up in about two years and got into development and you know, we've been off to the races ever since. I was there for about four and a half years, uh, as you said, uh, put together that 42-unit townhome development down in Bellevue, and uh, shortly thereafter left and started my own firms. So we've been vertically integrating and running with our own projects ever since. I think it's great that um, you had, you know, you're selling the Cutco, and somehow that really leads into, you know, a guy who you sold it to brings you on board and says, so you must have made some sort of impression when you're selling the, you know, his steak knives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously he knew what you were kind of up to at the moment and probably said, you know, this guy's a hard worker. I mean, he's going to put hard work into whatever he does. You know, it's, uh, it's, I, I was very fortunate because Cutco sells itself. Yeah. Right. But I was able to really hone in my sales skills there. And, uh, I've just realized how much, how much I loved it. So, and, and that's also a testament too that you never know, what interaction you have at any yeah. point in your life is going no to lead to something that that could change things. Yeah. Oh, that's that's uh, there's no doubt. So, I mean, would you say you sort of stumbled into it? But I guess with your grandfather, it was kind of almost like a natural thing with commercial real estate, right? I mean, yeah. Had he been in something else, perhaps granddad, you follow a little bit in that. But with him, it seemed like a, a natural fit. You know, look, I don't know that I knew that about you. That with the the summers when you were twelve and all that, that makes. That's a that's a huge thing to be able to, to and plus you get to be with granddad, right? Oh, it's great. I mean, I've got a great relationship with my grandfather to this yeah. day because of that. Um, he basically, Is your mom's dad? Yes. Yeah, I've yep, yep. Him, mom's so dad. Great guy. Yeah, great guy. Um, and he, uh, you know, he taught me how to work, and it was it was the best thing that ever happened to me because you know I've got a work ethic that a lot of my peers don't have, and you know you grow up working as a general laborer, you know, because when you're when you're twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I mean, you don't can't be using nail guns and doing all the fun yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, they would give me a sledgehammer and tell me to, to demo out the bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. But you learn very quickly, like, okay, I need to find something to work with, yeah. uh, work with my brain and not with my body because yeah, yeah. this will beat you up after a little bit. I mean, sales skill is important, right? I mean, uh, it, how, how, how do you feel like that really cut code, what you took that into? Like some people may not think there's any connection there whatsoever. Sure. I mean, but Talk about that a little bit. Like there had to be some sort of, you know, what did you take from your sales experience as short as it was, but clearly you were doing well that, you know, um, sometimes we just segue into something else, but like, how did that play out? What kind of skills do you use now or, you know, from that? Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway, you know, you're walking into a stranger's home yeah. and trying to sell them a $2,000 knife set. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's about as trial by fire as you can get when it comes to sales. I mean, who clearly who, I need to uh, find out more <laughs> about knives. I didn't realize they're expensive. So even better. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Worth. Yeah. I mean, I think my average sale was like seven or eight. it was about a thousand dollars. So I knew that every appointment I would walk into, um, and my, my sales ratio was, was really high. 
So I had a chance of making about five hundred dollars every every appointment that I did. So that's that's pretty incentivizing as you know, again, a nineteen year old wow. uh, wanting to go out there and make some money for the summer. So you know, again, building that rapport with somebody that you've never met, you're in their home. It's a it's a rel- it can be a relatively uncomfortable situation at first. Uh, is it, you know that carries over into everything that you do. I can I can sit down and connect with just about anybody relatively quickly, and you know at, at one point. I mean, I did 50 appointments in my first 10 days, Oof. 50, it was like 51, yeah, which is a, a ton, right? I mean, I think I broke the record for the most appointments done in the first 10 days. Uh, but I got, I, I was, I was fortunate enough because of how many appointments I was able to keep setting up that I could kind of test things. Right. right? And so uh, I got to a point where I wouldn't even mention the knives when I would walk in. Mm. I would just sit there and see how long I could, I could talk with you know, the, my, my clients, uh, about their family, about what they enjoy doing, uh, about their lifestyle until they brought it up yeah. so that I could sit there and just build that rapport and build that connection with them so that I'm not just some stranger trying to sell knives. Right. I, I become somewhat of a friend. Yeah. And, and I think that that translates into any business, no matter what you're selling. I mean, it's so true. I mean, we, it's relationships. I mean, we 100%. can be walking down the street and, um, somebody will inv- invariably you know, flag you down, flag me down. And it's like, Oh, I know that, you know, I know him from so-and-so. And it's just, just really, I mean, it could be somebody from years ago that you sold a set of knives to, or, you know, whatever you, you're doing. And you never know when this person's going to cross your path again. That's right. And uh, I think that's a, a kind of, you know, burning bridges. I, I, that, that's a thing that I think is just a bad idea all the way around, no matter what goes on in whatever situation, whether it's a, a breakup or a you know a business breakup or just your parting ways, I think it's always best to because you never know when you're going to come back around, and it's just yeah. maybe that one circumstance. And, and Nashville's a small town, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, it's growing big, but yeah. it's still a small town. Everybody yeah. knows everything that's going on here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. I mean, um, you have to really, you know, I think protect your relationships. And uh, but so, so, what would you say is the hardest part about what you do now? Oh, the hardest part about what I do now. So, you know, I am a uh, creative developer. A lot of what we do is very different from what your traditional developers do, right? I mean, I've got a beard, I'm covered in tattoos. I don't wear collared shirts. Right? It's just not something that I want to do. We take a very different approach to our to our projects. And so, you know, there's inherently challenges with that, you know, uh, we did uh, the wash, which which we've grabbed drinks at many a time, uh, but that was a a six bay car wash that we converted into five micro restaurants and a bar. Well, the city had never seen anything like that, yeah. right? So that presented some challenges going through that process, um, and then it also presents challenges on on the the lending side and on the equity side, right? Because on the lending side, they are incredibly risk averse, right? Mm-hmm. They want to do what has been done a million times before. Right. They want to see the next Dollar General. They want to see the next three tenant strip center. Uh, they want to see the next office building in Cool Springs. Um, and so, you know, a boutique hotel like what we're doing right now, that was uh, that was a challenge to get financed because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lenders don't like to take risk. On the equity side, we're constantly having to raise capital, yeah. right? And so, that detracts from what I feel I am best at, which is finding deals, getting creative and executing on the project. Uh, but, you know, if I want to support my habit of uh, doing commercial real estate projects, <laughs> right. I got to keep raising capital. So th- those are kind of the challenges that I see on a day to day. I mean, you know, what happens, though, 
you know, raising capital, I can see how that's a challenge. You know, for us, I know we became uh, partnered up and clients and and so forth. Uh, I know just from kind of, you know, word of mouth, but then watching what you did. And so what, what is it like when you create, you, you, you finish a project and now people recognize you for that. And, you know, even, you know, heck, it was, that's where I met your granddad. That's gotta be a great feeling. You're right. sitting there at the wash having lunch on a Saturday, it's packed. And here you are a young guy and you're getting to experience this with your granddad. Uh, I mean, that was a, that had to be a cool moment. I know it was for me just to meet him. I know he was, he was excited. Your grandma was there, your mom was there and, you know, it's here's the culmination of a lot of hard work. And heck, I think it got broken into that very morning. Yeah, it, did. it was a crazy morning <laughs> and uh, the show went on. But what like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it, you know, once you kind of get that project, I think people now know, oh, the wash. That's well, right. I mean, it's kind of like you've created something. It's almost like an album you put out, you know, like no one can ever take that away. That's it's exactly there. it. And so what is that like? I think does that help when you're going to raise money like you can kind of point to or people know things and now that you've completed. Yeah, no, it, re it really does. I mean, that's the, the name of the game in commercial real estate. If you're going to do what, what I do, what we do, it's all about building that track record. Right. And so the first five to 10 projects will always be your most difficult because you are doing something new. Right. I mean, I, I actually kind of got spoiled on the first syndication I ever did. I raised capital from two guys for a $575,000 building uh, that we bought and I made two phone calls, right? And I was like, oh, this is easy. This is going to be so easy. You know, this is great. Uh, that's that's not the case. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't last. You know, my next raise was four times that, and uh, it was far more challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's all about building that track record. Once you've proven that you've done it before and you have data behind why it works, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very easy to go raise capital again. If I wanted to do multifamily, I could go, which I've never done, I could go do that tomorrow. Yeah. Right. There's such a uh, just again history with how those projects operate that you don't have to sell investors on why they should do this deal with you. Yeah. Right. They know like multifamily, pretty good investment. We're gonna get decent returns. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very formulaic and straightforward. So the more every every project that we add to the list just adds to that credibility right. as to why somebody should be with us. So you mentioned syndication. Um, for those who may not know what that means, talk about a little bit about what that means um, and what, what kind of role that plays in kind of the projects you work on and how, how that maybe brings in other investors that are just the common or new investor. Yeah. So a syndication is a basically you just bring in a group of people together to invest in your deal. And it could be anyone. It could be anyone. Your right. Your neighbors or friends or whatever. Friends, family, uh, strangers. It uh, yeah. doesn't really matter. People uh, that want to invest. People that want to invest in real estate, but, you know, maybe don't want to spend $3 million to buy a hotel. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to, uh, you know, it's it's fractional ownership of real estate, right? It's kind of the way that we do it. And we do it through our network. Um, and so, you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll bring those people in. We call them limited partners, yeah. which means that uh, they don't really have a say in the day-to-day. -day. You know, of course, they review the business plan. Yeah. They review the property and uh, they either agree or don't agree and um, hopefully join us. Uh, but after their equity contribution, they have no liability. So no matter what happens on the property, uh, they don't have any risk of debt, right? right? I mean, if the if the project fails and gets foreclosed on, uh, which we've never had happen, um, and hopefully it never does happen, but they don't have any of that liability, right? I, as the general partner who has co-invested alongside them, because I always put the minimum investment into my projects, uh, I, as the general partner, bear 100% of the risk. 
Um, and so it's, it's kind of up to me as the GP is what we call it, general partner, uh, to go and execute the business plan yeah. that the partners have approved when we first started the, the project. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works. I mean, it's, you know, you could bring a couple of friends in and just do a straight partnership, like a traditional LLC without doing a syndication. Yeah. Um, but everybody has to have an active role. So that's the biggest difference in a syndication is who's active and who's not active. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some people uh, talk about a little bit like you know, why syndication works with, um, you know, the newer folks uh, that may not know, you know, how to invest. So, you know, you're talking about something that, you know, you can kind of group and pool money together. Right. Sure. So uh, but you need an operator. Right. So, so not all syndications are going to be the same. It's really dependent a lot upon a particular person, I would say, right? The operator, because otherwise, sounds like a good deal. You've got a slide deck, you're looking at these returns, but um, doesn't mean it's guaranteed to work out that That's way, right. right? So, I mean, everything could be sound great, right? And and so talk about that a little bit, because I mean, not every deal works out, right? I mean, That's right. Um, and it's not saying necessarily yours, but like maybe something out there that doesn't work out. Talk about that. Like how can something go wrong with an operator and why is that important? Yeah, I've seen plenty of deals go wrong. You know, I mean, the the operator, it's kind of like Shark Tank, right? Yes, the deal looks great on paper, right? Every deal is just on paper, but it really comes down to the team and how they execute, yeah. right? I mean, most of the sharks will invest specifically in the people that are pitching the business, not necessarily the business because mm -hmm. they believe in that person. And, and it's very similar on the syndication side. I mean, you know, a, a, a bad team can take a great deal and make it fail. Yeah. But a good team can take a bad deal and make it good. Oh, right. That's, that's and it's good. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all in the operations <clears throat> and the execution. And so, you know, when you're investing in a syndication, you've got to know the operators very well. That's why the track record is so important so that you know what they are capable of because nobody really saw 2008 coming. Mm -hmm. Right. But there were people that still made money in 2008 based on how they handled and reacted. It, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's the old Mike Tyson saying everybody's got a game plan until they get mm -hmm. punched in the mouth. That's right. right. And so how are you going to handle getting punched in the mouth? Right. Because it's going to happen. I mean, it's almost inevitable in every commercial real estate deal. Things are going to pop up. Right. That you've just got to deal with that you can't really account yeah. for. It is almost like that uh, that lesson uh, that that old cliche of. Uh, with commercial real estate, isn't it's almost like you know the ten percent is what happens to you is ninety percent of how you react to it. That's so, exactly it. You know where you're dealing with uh, codes or whatever. So, I mean, I know there's there's different asset classes, and you said something interesting the other day when I was listening to you speak uh, to the Real Estate Investors Network, which Tyler is also uh, everyone knows him here in Nashville, the Real Estate Investors Network. Uh, he's a board member. So you were talking the other day, is a room full of a couple hundred people, and I remember you saying something about you know kind of pick your asset class and stick with that. Now, why is that important? You know, why not just kind of spread yourself out? But you, you don't do it that way, do you? You do, it, right. you do it differently. You do it a certain way for a reason. And why is that? I do. And, and that's because I spent five years as a commercial real estate broker before getting into it. And I think that's the biggest difference. You know, I actually had a full-time job in commercial real estate. I got to experience office, retail, residential, industrial, hotels, everything. Right. But when you're first getting into commercial real estate, you can't, uh, you can't learn everything. Every asset class is different and they all have their unique quirks and, and not to mention the fact that your network will be totally different. Right. Right. I mean, the, the tenants that you're going to be going after for an office building are entirely different from tenants in a retail building. And so 
when you're first starting your your investment path, I, I always recommend pick an asset class and just stick to it until you learn it really well. And then once you've got that down, then start looking at going into another one. Uh, and, and that's essentially what we did. I mean, I, I spent five years learning everything. And then, you know, we decided, hey, I don't actually want to, to specialize in one particular product type. I want to specialize in a neighborhood and do everything within that neighborhood. So even though I don't niche down on office or niche down on hospitality, we did niche down into a neighborhood to where we could learn everything about that neighborhood possible so that we know exactly what needs to be delivered. Uh, and I think that that is important no matter which way you take it. You know, maybe your niche is, um, you know, buying projects cash because you've got a network of doctors. Right. Right. And, and that allows you to move faster on projects. Right. Whatever that niche could be, I, I always recommend finding something that you can just focus on that will help you become right. the best at that first. Right. You know, and I grew up here like you and, and did not grow up in East Nashville. Neither did you. Mm -mm. But what is it about? Because when you're talking about you did drill down on a particular area, a neighbor, that is where we're talking about is East Nashville, which, right. what, two or three years ago, it's mentioned on the front cover of GQ magazine. You're talking about the five spot and different places to go. Um, but, you know, what is it about the East Side that you know, makes us want to go there. I don't know, you know, like, I think I, I know, but it, it's almost like we're in a different city or something in a way, but it's That's right. It's groovy. It's got the great food. Um, it, but it, there's, there's, there's movement there. It seems mm -hmm. like there's, it's, it's always not finished, but in a good way. Right. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's always improvement going on and development and teardowns and, it looks so much better year after year after year. I mean, the whole East side. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's local, you know, I think, I think that's the biggest piece about it. I mean, we're in cool Springs right now. Cool Springs is a very, uh, corporate mm -hmm. type of, of area, right? I mean, you, it's outside of downtown Nashville. It is the highest concentration of headquarters, this corporate headquarters. Buildings. We're on a third, fourth floor right here, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's nice. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, you know, Cool Springs is a great area. If you want to come shopping, you come to Cool Springs because yeah. it's got everything that you need. Uh, but the restaurants here, I think, I think, I think you can really tell the quality of of a neighborhood's culture mm -hmm. when you look at the restaurants and the bars, yeah. because you know you've got a lot of chains here, whereas in East Nashville, it's yeah. mostly local. It's mo it's almost all local. It's almost yeah. all local, and I think that there's something really uh, neat that that helps create within a neighborhood. So, so one, it's local. I mean, I tell people, you know, kind of like you mentioned, you feel like you're in a different city. When I moved back to Nashville, I ended up finding my way into East Nashville. And I, I've been in Nashville my whole life. But I like to tell people I feel like I moved to a different city when I moved to East Nashville. Because yeah. it's so different. Um, two, the, uh, the parcel sizes over there are much smaller than in other, other parts of Nashville. And so it makes it very difficult for projects of scale. Right. And so if you wanted to build a 150,000 square foot office building, it's almost impossible to assemble that much over there, yeah. uh, which, again, keeps it smaller and 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 more local, kind of like Berry Hill. Right. Like you look at Berry Hill and it's tough for that to ever turn over into corporate. But third, it's on the wrong side of the river. Yeah. Which I wear as a badge of honor. I, I love you. that because the the old guard of Nashville investment and development doesn't look there. And so, you know, they're focused on on Green Hills and Brentwood, so Cool true. Springs, Franklin, yeah. the south side of downtown. So we don't have the competition and I don't have to pay as much as, you know, other developers would um, for this side of town. So 
So here they're building a new football stadium uh, on the other side, on that side of the river too, right? Yeah, it's proposed right, right now. Right next to the, the, the current one. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, it's, it's, it looks really nice. I mean, the renderings oh, are amazing. I would, love, I would love for that to happen. You've got Oracle uh, on that side of the river as well that's just announced a 60-acre campus with 8,500 jobs. Um, so, you know, once those projects get underway, it's, you know, the East Bank revitalization is going to blow up East Nashville. So yeah. we're trying to buy as much as we can over there to try and keep it local. Because when you start getting things like that, it's it's really good for the community, yeah. but it can also start to take away. And what are some um, what are some things you maybe could share with uh, some folks that are out there that are more peer level that may be struggling right now or rethinking things, shifting gears, maybe they've not been through something quite like this. Uh, where rates are going up. So are, what's going on out there uh, with folks and, and how can we encourage other investors right now with, with kind of, you know, rates have doubled and tripled. Is that, is that affecting people out there and in, in, in the decision-making and yeah. it's making, it's making the deals, you know, you got to look at more deals, you know, and the numbers aren't working. And do you see that sellers are kind of being still a little too uh, optimistic, overly optimistic, and we've got to wait for that to settle and a little a new reality to set in for them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. You know, interest rates have risen uh, pretty dramatically over the past year. Right. I mean, our, our environment in June compared to today in November is entirely different. And, you know, when you start talking about raising interest rates by two points, it makes a huge impact. I mean, I was I was looking through uh, I've got this uh, impact on debt or the the impact of debt on commercial real estate calculator that I created, just kind of messing around with it this morning to see you know, what, what a 5% interest rate would have gotten you on a cash on cash return for a specific deal compared to 7% today. And it was a, it was a nearly 50% difference on your cash on cash returns. It was pretty, pretty massive. And, you know, that's going to take a lot of people out of the market, right? And then you've got sellers that haven't adjusted their, their sale price because they haven't had to sit there long enough. They're still waiting, you know, maybe they built uh, their product at the top of the market, and they're still expecting a certain return, and they're, they're it's going to take a little bit for them to realize that they're not going to be able to get that. So, you know, on the like my my brokerage team does a lot of triple net and single tenant net lease deals across the country, and what we're seeing there is a lot of the buyers that uh, would use debt can't. I mean, they, they just can't buy yeah. because if you're buying a five and a half percent cap rate Starbucks and you're having to pay a seven percent interest rate. Your your cash flow is gone, right? But our cash buyers are crushing it right now, yeah, because they're able to come in. We're still able to find good deals. You just got to sift through more of them. And you know, we've got a take five oil for a client uh, out of California, uh, out in North Carolina. Uh, now, take five oil typically trades at a five percent cap rate, but we found a franchisee that had self developed. So, very unique situation where. They just need to get out, get the cash back so they can go build the next take five and open up more take fives. Well, we ended up negotiating that up to a six and a quarter cap. So 125 basis points spread from what those are typically trading at. So, uh, and that's because we came in with an all cash offer with a very aggressive close. Right. What a great, I mean, that's a great strategy. I mean, like, so it's it's kind of like uh, on the retail side, I mean, there's going to be some Realtors, uh, lenders, investors get out of the business, and so it seems like it's just kind of going to affect a lot of. I mean, it was it's a, I wouldn't say frothy necessarily in Nashville, yeah. but um, it's definitely you know you turn on a television, you turn on cable, and there's probably a show 
that has somebody that's filming here for a flip, yeah. you know, fix and flip. So it became pretty popular and it's a pretty cool place to live. So it's, it's it, the secrets out, it seems like for sure. And, and, and I think that the, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the, uh, the collateral with damage from that, with everybody rushing into the market, especially here is that you're going to have some people get out. You know, and uh, which I think that's going to create opportunities, right? And yeah, I think that's, market share. That's, I think that's gotta, a good thing. opportunities in every market, right? Exactly. I mean, I think it's a good thing. You know, the the people that are going to get knocked out are not the the cream of the crop, right? Right. I mean, they're the people that either just got into it or they've never really gotten that good at it. And you know, you think about the reputation that that can bring to real estate, to lending. You know, when you've got people that aren't as good at it, you yeah. know, the way that they talk to clients, they may not be as fully educated or whatever that ends up being. And, and they just set a bad tone. Yeah. And so these market corrections are actually really good for making sure that only the best survive. Yeah. And I think that that's better overall for consumers. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's a good market correction to have. Um, and, and, you know, also, you know, kind of going back to interest rates, I mean, uh, we're expecting those to start coming back down in the next 12 months. And we've got a lot of clients that are still moving forward on projects. A lot of developers are still moving forward on projects. And yeah, you're going to have to pay a little bit more in interest right now. Uh, but in the long run, it's not going to make a big difference. You know, we were talking about my grandfather earlier. I was looking at a property that he owns over off of Trousdale. He bought it in 2002 for $310,000. And that property today is probably worth between three and four million. Yeah. So, you know, do you think that he would have been upset if he had bought that property? I mean, he probably paid cash for it. But if he had bought that for $310,000 with a 10% right. interest rate back then, he still would be doing just fine. So it's really the, the people that have a short-term view yeah. uh, that could get burned. Well, that's a great example. And I, I bet I'd be willing to bet your granddad would say something like, you know, <clears throat> do you think interest rates are going to be? this 10% forever. I mean, like if he's talking to someone today, uh, I mean, his, he's, he knows, yeah. you know, he can look back and see, and plus he had so many other cycles and it's just, it's not, always, that's one thing I've learned is whatever you're dealing with right now, whether it's great or whether, you know, you just won the Super Bowl or you just got your ass kicked, it's not always going to, it's not always going to be this way. And I think right now with rates being the way they are, I think you just got, you've got to realize that it's not always going to be this way. And you That's can right. always, it's, you're not stuck with it forever, right? He could have refinanced that how many times between then and, and now, because rates yeah. have really been a lot lower than that. So it is true. And I think you do have other people getting into the market and maybe take a lower cap rate sometimes uh, because they're looking for the tax advantage. They got to place their money somewhere. There's other reasons for people to do deals, just like People get divorced, and so they've got to sell a building. They've got to sell. So there's deals out there, right? You just gotta, you gotta be. It's the relationships. I mean, you gotta really call guys your um, your relationships, your contacts, and really deepen those. I think, I think less is more in a lot of yeah. ways. I mean, meaning, I don't know how you feel about it, but it seems like you kind of think the same way. But like, you know, you have your core core, and then you, you know, but you go deeper with those until you're just trying to. You know, you're not trying to be Walmart, right? That's right. You know? Yeah. I mean, it look, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, and, and historically, you know, if you average out real estate over the last, what, 100 years, it increases at 3% a year. Mm -hmm. There's never been a time where real estate has gone down and stayed down or continued to just go down and never come back in value. This, and, and you look at, you know, regions like the southeastern United States, you have such an influx of people moving here 
that there's only going to be more demand for yeah. retail and office and industrial, not to mention multifamily and single family housing. And so, you know, that's why, I mean, I was at the Urban Land Institute, uh, their emerging trends report um, this, this past week, which, which was fascinating to see. Uh, Nashville is the number one market in the country to watch right now, still second year in a row. You know who was the number one market to watch before that? Boston. San Francisco. San Francisco, wow. Which is crazy because San Francisco is massive compared to Nashville. Oh, yeah. Right? And so, you know, Nashville beat out Austin, Raleigh, Durham, Denver, Colorado. Um, but just because there's so many people moving here, all these lenders want to be here. All these investors and developers want to be here. And so despite interest rates, despite where the market's going, it's going to continue to go up. Well, you bring up another good point. I mean, I was talking, I mentioned Austin. I was talking, I was at dinner with a group of uh, high level uh, mortgage folks earlier in the week at Etch. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Etch, Dead Pocket, one of my, if not my favorite restaurant in Nashville. But you know, they were talking about the taxes, the property taxes in Austin for a million dollar house was like $30,000 versus here. Maybe, I mean, I guess Davidson would be the most, maybe it'd be 8,000, something like that. And here in, yeah. in, in Williamson, uh, maybe five or six. So it's just, it's a massive difference. That's a huge difference and makes a big difference in the numbers. And so it does. that's, uh, we have low taxes here. And I think that really kind of draws in people as well, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, property we, taxes, no income tax, yep, no state, no state income, tax. income tax. I mean, that's huge for all these corporations that are moving to Nashville, right? And it, so that's big money you're talking that's about. That's big like, money. I mean, saving. I mean, Oracle bringing 8,500 jobs, and, I, and I'm pretty sure the average employee is making six figures there. Yeah. You know, that's that's a lot of income that is going to be brought into, into the city. And, uh, you know, of course, we don't have state income tax, so that doesn't matter too much for the state. But what we do have is a higher sales tax. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and Nashville is, you know, one of the top destinations for tourism in the country and has been for years. And we get over well over 50% of our sales tax in Davidson County comes from people that live outside of the county, which is huge for a city like that. Who was it tell you? I mean, people are coming in. People the are city. coming into Nashville. Yeah, that's right. I know we do. So I mean, our, our hospitality market is only second, I think behind Miami. Oh, well, which is wild to think about. That is, that it really is. I mean, it, and it, that was not the case. No. I mean, when you talk about, you know, being in the burbs, you know, and how you really don't have that, that, uh, all, all the, so much of the indie restaurants and so forth. I mean, that's really what just, ex it, Nashville wasn't like that. I mean, so many years ago, I mean, no. 15 years ago, and then all of a sudden you got indie restaurants and if they're, and then they're indie, like Husk, I mean, the guy yeah. that's James Beard award-winning yeah. chefs. Yeah, I mean, Hus comes in from from uh, from over in South Carolina, and you just yeah, award winning chefs, and so talk about kind of like uh, as we that's a good segue. The Salt Ranch that's a that's a passion mm -hmm. project, and then you've got the east the east the wash, which is on the east side. Um, are those the kind of projects that you like? Them? What what gets you excited the most? Yeah, it I, seems like the culinary piece is a little bit of it. Yeah, right? I think uh, I think there's something <laughs> the special that. Yeah, I think there's something special that bars and restaurants can bring to a community. You know, I mean that's that's what drew me to East Nashville in the first place. Um, yeah, I mean we like the funkier projects, right? I mean we can if we just wanted to make money, I'd go become a preferred developer for you know not picking on Dollar General, but for someone like Dollar General, yeah, right, who is expanding like crazy. And we just go find pieces of land, develop those, yeah. sell them on a cap rate, and move on to the next one. But 
that's not fun to me. Right. You know, I mean, a, a huge portion of this, I mean, this is a lifestyle business for me. Yeah. You know, I live, work and play within the neighborhoods that I'm developing. And so I want to build the things that I want to go to. Yeah. Right. I mean, the wash, man, selfishly, I get to choose six concepts that I want to go yeah. to all the time. Right. I mean, and I, they're I mean, all great. Yeah. Two Peruvian chefs, soy cubano. What's up, guys? Yeah. I mean, I mean you want to eat there all the time. Yeah. And I enjoy that. It's it's a fun place to hang out. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of projects that we like to do. It, it's just something that's a little bit different. Maybe it's against the grain, but it's fun. It's exciting to work on. You know, it gets us out of bed in the morning. Yeah. I mean, plus you can go enjoy it with your friends. That, yeah. That's a finished product. I mean, take my grandparents there. That's right. That's you know, right. that's cool. I could, I could, if I was doing just a, a corporate office building, it wouldn't be as exciting. Yeah. So... This year, what do you see playing out locally and even, uh, you know, regionally? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to ask you nationally, but like, cause you're in commercial real estate, but like, you know, this is a different market. You know, the South, there's definitely people are moving here from all over. You just look at the demographics and the, you know, the, uh, the graphic where it just shows people just moving into the South oh, from yeah. all other areas of the country. It's crazy. So what, what, what is your outlook for 2023? Um, you know, is this going to be a little bit of a flat kind of situation? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, you know, yeah, move forward. I think there's definitely going to be a bit of a slowdown with interest rates where they are. It's going to slow down construction, which means two, three years from now, we're going to have a, a lower supply, uh, which is going to drive the market again. Right. Um, so, you know, what we're doing right now is we're one trying to hit singles, right? I just want to find smaller projects that we can work on, you know, sub $4 million that uh, are within the neighborhoods that we like uh, to just keep ourselves busy, right? I mean, and those are the most fun ones to work on anyway, because they're small. You can do really cool, unique things yeah. with them. Uh, but we're also looking at, um, you know, some opportunistic deliveries. Yeah. So I'm under contract right now on a 144-unit hotel that we're going to convert into apartments, micro-apartment living. Well, again, in two years, there will be fewer apartments delivered. Yeah. Over the next 12 months, there will be quite a bit then the, we'll have 12 months of absorption and then mm -hmm. there won't be any new product being delivered um, or very little. And so to me, that's an opportunity. Maybe it costs us a little bit more right now, but our lease up on the back end should go really fast because right. we're not going to have as much competition. And I think that's what, you know, when you hear this saying of, you know, millions are made in recessions and millionaires are made in recessions, uh, millionaires make more money. You know, it's 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 really planning it out and and playing the cards you're dealt. I mean, it's like a poker game, which you know right. I'll play tonight. You gotta you gotta somehow play that hand that you've got, and make me like you said. I love the baseball analogy. You know, hitting a single. I mean, sometimes you got to choke up the bat. You know, when it's tight, and you know, try not to swing for the fence. Right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, if I've got a pair of sevens, I'm not going to go all in, yeah. but I'm going to ride it out and see how far I can get right, it. Right. You never know what that river's going to show. That's right. That's right. That's right. They especially if they let you play and. And the thing is, I mean, if you can play here. I mean, it's a great, it's a great campus or playground here in Nashville. There's a lot, there's a lot to uh, to explore. There's a lot to take advantage of. Um, what do you tell us about something you got coming up on the horizon that you're excited about? Without you know sharing too much, but like what's something that uh, that we're going to be excited to see or that you've got coming up maybe in the next. 6, 12, 18 months, that's going to be fun or something that you, you know, your hope's going to work out. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we got that, we got that uh, hotel to apartment I was telling you about. We're, we're working on a second hotel right now. Um, there would be kind of a boutique, you know, Las Vegas style 
pool party theme, oh, yeah. um, which I'm pretty excited about because, you know, Salt Ranch is more of the mid-luxury boutique. This will be more of a, uh, you know, mid-level hotel that kind of caters to tourism. Um, and then, uh, which so we're, we're really excited to be working on that one right now. And then uh, this past week, I launched my course on investing in commercial real estate. Congrats. Uh, yeah, really, really excited about that. Um, it's, you know, commercial real estate investing for beginners. We spent over a year putting that together because I wanted to make sure it was the most comprehensive course out there on how to buy commercial real estate. How so, could people How could people buy that? If they yeah. wanted to take advantage of that and, and really start to gain some knowledge and yeah. and get their real estate career going in commercial, how, how would they buy that? How would they access that? Yeah, so you just go to tylercobble.com slash course. And, uh, and it's, and it's right there. Okay. So tylercobble.com backslash course. That's it. All right, cool. Well, man, um, like let's one last question. Like if uh, you've been doing this for a while, you've been doing this since you're 12, but like, if you weren't in real estate, I mean, could you see Ooh. yourself? What, what would you, should, could you see yourself doing something else? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, like if it, it paid you money, doesn't matter. Yeah. Pay me money. I mean, look, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a rock star. There you I always go. thought that'd be so much fun. Just travel the world playing music. What and, kind of music? It's, I know. But rock. That, tell yeah. That. Rock or heavy metal. Heavy metal. That's right. Yeah. That's what I, I was mean, that, I think that, right. that'd be a lot of fun. My Seth, one of my one of the guys on my team, he is the bassist for a heavy metal band. And so they'll they'll tour all over. They're trying to set up a European tour. And I just love that kind of stuff. I think it's so cool. I think it's great. And maybe that's the, you know, um, you're kind of rocker. That's mindset it. is you know is kind of what comes out when you you know when you when you express yourself every day so i, I think that's great guys thanks so much uh, Todd. thanks for being here um this is, brings us to the end of our time uh, if you want to reach out to Tyler, please do uh, he is always looking for investors he's got projects going on for every level investor um and uh, like i said you know when you when you connect yourself with the right people especially in the right people in the right towns, then good things are going to happen. And uh, Tyler's one of those guys. And so we appreciate him having him here today. And you guys have a great rest of the week. And we'll see you on the next one.